So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would do entrepreneurial aspect. Change the way they're practicing. Leader, analyze. said they've done it earlier. help young lawyers. Starting a small firm. What it means to be fulfilled. Make it easy to work with your clients. New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap. All right, it's time for another episode of New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares. I am your host. I like to say I'm the hostess with the mostest because I feel like I am, and you've got to be confident in the things you do. My guest today is Joshua Bonici, who's an attorney in Southern California, and I was very impressed when someone introduced me to him just randomly saying, Adriana, you and this attorney might have some synergy. He does some work with the California Lawyers Association and a solo small firm section, and maybe you could do a webinar for them. I said, sure. I'm always happy to talk to folks that work at bar associations. It's fun. So we connected, and as I chatted with him, I said, wait, you started a solo practice off the ground? That's impressive. 11 years later, cool. Oh, you're also a adjunct instructor at a law school? Huh, that's interesting. That must keep you busy. And then when I went and looked at his website, I was very impressed with his marketing efforts. So I'm going to ask him about all those things today. Hi, Joshua. Hi, pleasure to be here. Can I call you Josh? Please. Great. So Josh Benici, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, you're, you started as a solo, looks like you've got a little bit more going. So give us the, here's how I got to launching my law practice part of your life. Sure. So um, I... Graduated law school, was working for a small firm, and kind of took a left turn after that, went and worked for a small um, legal marketing company for about a year. Mm. Uh, Planned to start a practice after that with a friend. And after I put my two weeks in, my friend bailed. We're still good friends now, so that's okay. (laughs) And so I then was okay, thinking I'm going to go ahead and start my own practice. So I Started a practice solo with zero clients on a super shoestring budget and eventually started to grow that. Within nine months, I hired my first assistant. Um, I hired my first associate attorney about two or three years later and then kind of kept it lean and mean. The largest we've been is about five or six people. And 11 years later, we are four strong and um, I have a nice boutique personal injury and disability appeals practice that we just celebrated 11 years in October. And um, I've been recently doing some other things kind of around that, but that's kind of my story. Well, it's very good. It's very impressive. And I did notice that you, you know, you say you do disability and personal injury, but you have a tiny niche or niche. This is the problem I always have on New Solo, niche or niche on your (laughs) website that I think is interesting. And that's bicycle injuries. Yeah. So as a kid, I was a big mountain biker and um, always went riding with my dad, really enjoyed that. Um, Unfortunately, my dad got in a pretty bad mountain biking accident when I was in high school. So I stopped riding for a long time. Started my my law practice doing personal injury because that's uh, what my experience was. And I liked kind of that, you know, time where you can get into litigation, but I wasn't in court every single day. I was working directly with people, solving problems. And I started representing a handful of cyclists. And I said, you know, these are people that I enjoy talking to. The damages on kind of a litigation kind of uh, damages look is better in those cases because they aren't as protected as people in cars. And so I said, you know what? Maybe this is something I kind of want to focus on. So in 2015, I made that determination. Said I'm going to be the hmm. I want to be the bike guy in San Diego. Love it. So I went, I went and bought a road bike. 
I started getting associated with a lot of um, clubs and riding rides in San Diego. I mean, we might get into this later, but now I'm entering my third year as being title sponsor for the largest cycling club in San Diego. So that's kind of been a little bit of my niche to where I've gone into for personal injury so that, you know, people can know who I am. I always make the joke that you go to an attorney networking event, you throw a rock, you're going to hit like five personal injury attorneys, <laughs> right? Right. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, so I need to stand out in some other fashion. And so now that's, um, that's the niche or niche that I've chosen. See, even you don't know. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> if you're going to start an estate planning practice, pick a niche. There's a million of those out there. So I'll say something like, I make dumb suggestions, but they're suggestions that I think of, which is nobody thinks about doing estate planning for young people like me. I don't have an estate planning attorney. I don't have an estate plan because I think I don't have an estate, but yet I own property. I've got a business. So I just think it's so smart to get into a niche. And then the other thing I always tell attorneys, especially when I'm talking to law students, I do a lot of sort of guest lectures at, at law schools is please find something you love your bicycling example is perfect because not only is it just something that you just, you love and you're passionate about, you're not, you don't have to fake genuine genuineness about it because it's truly something that you love. Plus makes you happier when you're working in an area that you love. So great. I'm so glad I asked you about that. You said all the right things. If you are talking to young lawyers today, and I know that you do, cause we're going to talk about your, um, your law professorship in a moment. Is that something you suggest as well? And when they say to you, I don't know what I want to do. I mean, I just feel like it's so natural to say, find something you love. There's always a need for a lawyer and everything. I, I definitely try to have someone find something that they already have a lot of passion or background in or something that they like, because then it's not working as much, right? Right, Because you're already may maybe invested in that area, whether it's yoga or it's engineering or something. If you're already invest in that area, then the the marketing there isn't going to be as hard. Um, it's going to be easier to talk with those people and it's going to be a, a way to break down barriers yeah. because you're you're able to talk about that niche with somebody who's already invested and now they're, not, they're not really talking to a lawyer as much as they're talking to somebody who shares that passion and then you can help them throughout within that niche. Love it. Great. Brilliant advice. Let me go back to you launching your solo practice and um, when you decided to do that, how did you know where to start? Where did you find the resources? Or did you do it like a lot of other attorneys, which was the school of hard knocks? <laughs> Adrian, I got super lucky and maybe just was connected with some of the right people. So my law school actually had an incubator system mm -hmm. that they had just launched about a month prior to me, myself launching. And they had an opening because somebody dropped out. And so I slipped right in there at the very beginning of 2013. And it was myself and eight other lawyers mm -hmm. where we were all running our own individual law practices. But we had a seasoned attorney running the incubator system where we all shared in overhead. We all shared in kind of do some CLEs once a week um, and kind of really collaborate a lot on marketing ideas and things like that. So for a full year, I had my overhead was really low. I was paying $250 a month for an office wow. in a high rise that had a receptionist that kind of greeted everyone for us. We had a meeting space for clients, all of that. And so that really kind of was my springboard moving forward. And then a year after that, we ended up staying in the same space, but a new cohort of incubatees came in and, you know, we kind of, 
shadowed them a little bit and kind of took them under our wing a little since we had kind of already been through the process. And so that was kind of my springboard to move forward. And then I moved out of there in 2017 and got my own office suite by myself and um, kind of took off from there. But I definitely had a lot of support. It was an amazing thing. And I would actually love to kind of reinvigorate and restart a Southern California incubator. But it's just kind of hard getting all those things kind of put together. But that, that's how, kind of how I got my wheels rolling. No, that's great. I feel like we used to hear about incubators a lot more than we do now. So that must have been during that era of incubators. And I definitely wish more law schools would really get those going because it would make a job of a consultant like me so much easier where attorneys would be able to call me and pay me to get beyond the basics, right? Like, okay, I've got the basics down now. Here are a little more in-depth questions. I never mind answering any question, but sometimes it'd be great to, to not to just have a jump start on stuff. All right. So you launched your solo practice. You had, as you said, no, no, zero money, zero clients, but you had some ideas. You had a place to work. And what I love about all this is that, and you've successfully had this practice now for 11 years. Congratulations on your anniversary. Is Thanks. You turned that whole thing right around, and now you are the professor teaching at the Thomas... Jefferson School of Law in San Diego, a law practice management class. That's correct. It's a solo practitioner course, how to open your own practice. My mentor, who's actually the director of the incubator, Mm -hmm. taught that course for a handful of years. Um, Lelise McCoy, I think we had talked about you knowing who she was. For sure. And yeah, and so when she stopped doing that, she kind of made a pitch to the dean saying, hey, this is an important course. I might have someone that can come in and take over. And then when they were ready to offer that again, they reached out. We, we all got together and, and now I'm teaching that course, which is amazing. They never had that course when I was there. Right. And so I've got 11 students and we've got two more courses left this semester, two more weeks, and just walking them through, you know, why you start a business, how you do it, business development, how to send bills, how to interview clients, how to deal with difficult clients, all the stuff that is the real world application of what you learn in law school, but kind of how to make that happen as a business. I have a lot of listeners that are trying to do that very same thing. So in a nutshell, what are some of the most important things that you need to know, need to plan for, or this is not what they taught you in law school, things that you could summarize from the course you're giving and from your personal experience? Yeah. So my big push is always to, when you're opening a new practice, think about it as a business. The service that you're providing is law, which is amazing. You know, there's a lot of brilliant lawyers out there, but without clients coming in the door and having some systems and processes, right, those things will fail. And so looking at it that way, seeing what other successful businesses have done on that aspect and installing that into your practice. So One thing I always talk about is, you know, doing some great networking, creating your own brand, creating your own kind of niche, kind of like we talked about. It doesn't have to be a specific niche in a way that you've really needled down into one particular area, but being memorable so that people know who you are and how to refer you and why to refer to you. So you can start building that way. Another thing I always recommend is to hire an assistant as soon as you can. And people freak out and, oh my goodness, I can't afford an assistant. And, you know, that's going to be extra money. I totally get it. It doesn't need to be you know, a 40 hours a week, 
25-year experienced paralegal. It can be 20 hours a week virtual assistant that you're paying $10 an hour for to at least start getting some things off your desk so that you can be more productive with your time and you can start servicing more and more clients. So those are probably some of the things that if I had to give a two or three minute just review that I would probably tell people to start thinking about when they're getting their new practice going. I think those are awesome. A recurring theme on this podcast over and over again from everyone who comes on who's had experience and will tell you number one piece of advice is networking. And it's funny how often over and over again, it's the most fought piece of advice where a student thinks or a new solo just thinks that doesn't possibly matter. I mean, my grandpa's been telling me that, but it is over and over again, the number one way to get clients and referrals. So never forget new solos out there. Branding is funny because it's another one that attorneys don't think it matters. We just finished a four-part series at the San Diego County Bar on marketing. The third session was on branding and it was our least attended because I think attorneys don't get what it is and why it's important. And believe me, we tried to come up with a title as sexy as possible and it just doesn't grab. So I think your whole conversation about branding yourself as the bicycle guy, the bicycle attorney is brilliant and that is everything. So you're right. If y'all, if you haven't studied branding and figured out how to brand yourself, brand your law firm, make yourself a recognizable and lovable name or law firm out there, you've, you've got to do that. And then the last thing I'll say is most certainly hiring assistant. I couldn't agree with you more. And then I will add on as a technology consultant that having your tech stack set up correctly with the right resources and technology and knowing how to use those is right up there as well. Well, listen, I want to come back in a moment after this message from our sponsors and talk to you about another little side hustle you've got that you really enjoy doing, which is helping other attorneys. And we're just going to keep the conversation going there about what types of questions you get, what kind of advice you give, and we'll take it from there. We'll be right back. Research shows that a firm's billing options directly impact a client's decision to hire. I've asked Joshua Lennon, my friend and Cleo's lawyer in residence, to come in and talk to us about this. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Adriana. Thanks for having me. You're right. 70% of clients are telling us that they want the option to pay via a payment plan. And while hourly rates remain the most common fee structure offered by 97% of law firms, our survey data is telling us that most consumers, 67%, want the option to pay for legal services via flat fees. However, that same data is telling us that only 37% of law firms actually offer flat fees on any legal matter. Firms that offer flat fees can gain a ton of business. To learn more about the billing preferences of today's legal clients, download Clio's Legal Trends for Solo Law Firms for free at clio.com forward slash solo. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash solo. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps legal malpractice insurance policyholders are solos after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight. You'll find them. First Flight program subject to eligibility requirements. Okay. 
We're back. I'm Adriana Linares, your host of The New Solo. I'm with Joshua Bonici today. He is a solo practitioner with his a little bigger than a solo, but he's had his practice for 11 years in San Diego. Very successful, very busy guy with a lot of interests. Sounds very happy, which I always love talking to attorneys who are running a busy practice but are happy about it. So Josh, I want to ask you next about, it's obvious that you like helping others because you're a law school professor and that is something you have to like. And I can tell by listening to you and and chatting with you that helping other attorneys is important to you. So you've started a little side hustle, if you will, as a business consultant, as a law firm coach. Tell us a little bit about that and then give me like, you know, the types of questions you get asked the most and what your response is typically to those. Yeah. So in kind of my passion for kind of the, the business side of the law and helping other people really serve more and oftentimes better clients, I started saying, you know what, I've, I've got my practice pretty, pretty well solidified. I don't have a, a drive to add, you know, employees beyond where I am. So I've started consulting with attorneys on either starting a, a newer practice or growing and scaling a practice. Mm. And not just kind of the technology side. I know I think there's a lot of great people like yourself who can kind of get people Mm. plugged in, ready to go, and kind of go, okay, I've got a good base. But working with them and saying, okay, what practice areas do you have? What, what, What areas of focus do you want? Can we create a brand for you? Can we get yourself into a niche, right? So that you can start fading away some of these other leads that you don't like, and really bear down to some of the, the um, cases that you really want. Some of the other questions that I get is, you know, I'm really nervous on hiring somebody. I've hired before, it didn't go well, or I don't think I can afford it, or I've never interviewed somebody before. How, how do I even put an ad out? How do I do that? And so walking them through with a lot of the experience that I have and kind of building a solid team and then training them on how to utilize that employee or even that independent contractor to further their goal. If that's taking a vacation because they haven't, because they're working 80 hours a week. If that's adding a new practice area, because I've always wanted to do something like that, or just bringing on more cases and just making more money. And so kind of finding those pressure points and trying to see the best way to alleviate those. So you made me think of something when you said, or growing an, an existing practice, right? So you like helping new solos launch. I do, that's probably my favorite thing. And then helping a firm practice. But then it reminds me of something you said in our first segment, which you talked about processes and procedures. So that sounds to me like you probably have a book of policies, procedures, and practices that you update. And when somebody comes in, you can pretty much hand them the book, whether it's digital or physical, and say, okay, well, here's how we do things here. Talk to us a little bit about how important that is in either world, whether you're just launching a new solo practice, or I imagine that's actually a really important part of helping a firm become successful is you probably go in and say, oh, you don't have written down how you open a matter or close a matter or get these you know, files from cradle to grave. Completely. So in my own practice, we de- we've got several policies, procedures on different aspects, whether it's new client sign up, it's litigation, it's closing a matter. And then we meet usually once, sometimes twice a year and say, okay, where can mm. we make this better? Has anything mm-hmm. changed? Can we make this more efficient? And I'll go to my staff and be like, okay, you're doing most of this. What have you noticed? Give them the, the power and the authorization to say, no, I think we should change these things and say, great. 
let's do that. And so now they have a say in kind of what work they're doing and how they're doing it. A lot of times, you know, if someone's starting a brand new practice today, that may not be the thing that's going to launch them faster is having a new client onboarding process. I would say that you probably have to do a handful of them first to figure out, okay, this is how I want it to be done. And write it down. And then when you change your mind, edit it, but write it down. Exactly. Usually the new solo has time to actually start writing that and creating that list. Exactly. That's you. That's usually when you want to start doing that is going, okay, you know what? On a Friday night, you know, close your your blinds, pour yourself a glass of wine or whiskey or whatever your vice is, and just go in on your laptop for two hours and say, okay, this is how I want a new client sign up, for instance, on onboarding to look like. Now, if you have a solo or a small firm that's been established for a while and they don't have those things, that's where you can really make some of the big changes is saying, okay, we're going to, number one, put together the policy and procedural list on how you want these things. But we're also going to make sure that the right people are actually doing the tasks that are best suited for those tasks, whether or not the managing attorney in a small office wants to do something, if they enjoy it, great, we're assigning those to you, right? But having a task list with an understanding of, okay, whenever a new client comes in, this attorney does the interviews, but when the retainer is signed, this assistant is the one who puts together the new client packet. This attorney is the one who sends out the thank you card or whatever it is. So everyone knows what's supposed to happen once a certain task gets assigned. So there's no there's no glitch in the matrix, yeah. right? Everyone knows exactly what's supposed to happen. It happens the right way. And the person that's doing it is very efficient at doing it. So they're saving time and doing it correctly. So I think those are some of the, the best ways for lawyers to start thinking like a business because there's checklists and processes for everything, mm-hmm. for everyone. The example I love is um, airline pilots, right? They might have flown 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 hours. They still go through the checklist every time before they take off and when they land, right? Just to make sure something doesn't get missed to make sure that everything is the same. And so us lawyers need to get out of our own heads and understand that that's something that can really help our practice. Could not agree with you more. I'm going to give everyone a good use case for ChatGPT. I think sometimes the hardest part about creating a policy or procedure is writing it down and taking the time. Well, I would suggest to you that you dictate it right into something like GPT or BARD and with something like, you're an attorney trying to write policies and procedures for your client intake form. Take the following notes and put them into a bulleted list. When a, pra- when a new client walks in the door, when you're, you know, and just literally speak it out to one of the robots, it will give you a great place to start. I love the chat GPT, bards, clods of the world. And I think attorneys are thinking a little bit too hard about how to use them and also being a little bit too afraid, but these are perfect use cases for them. You can always then go back and say, oh, on number three, add this. On number four, change it to this. I mean, it's a great use case is helping you write down your policies and procedures. Of course, you're going to edit it afterwards. Well, that's all very helpful, really good information. Let's take another quick break. We're going to come back. And I am going to ask you about the awesome marketing that I see coming off of your social media platforms and your website. It's a common story. You started your practice with a budget website. There were a million things swirling and you needed something. Nine, 12, 18 months later, your practice is generating revenue and you have your legs under you. It may be time to revisit that website. Talk to Practice Made Perfect. 
your website can become a profitable tool for attracting clients. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders. Practice Made Perfect. Visit pmpmg.com forward slash solo. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, LawClerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. All right, now I'm back. We're back. Me and Josh Bonici, and I'm talking to him about just running a successful law practice, helping other attorneys do the same. And now I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into Josh's very nice looking website and all his social media platforms. So Josh, I'm looking at your website. You've got all the right things on here. You've got a click to call. You've even got an email. All your social media buttons are at the top. You've got a button to click a free consultation. You've got chat on here. You've got videos. Your colors are beautiful. Everyone, make sure you go to bonichilawgroup.com when you're listening to this podcast. It's B-O-N-N-I-C-I lawgroup.com. Go look at it. You've got all the right elements on here. You've got a click to call, an email, great navigation, including one very specific tab for bike lawyer. Get a free consultation. Click to make that appointment, probably. All your social media chiclets are up here. And you have a chat. You've got videos. Nice font, nice colors. This is a beautiful website. I even love the colors. Your LinkedIn, clean. The the branding carries over. Your logo is there. You bring it home with your tagline. You're a bicycle injury lawyer and racer. Disability appeals lawyer. And you call yourself out as a baseball nerd. I like it. Makes me want to call you. You gotta have a little fun with it, right? right. I really want to be the approach the approachable lawyer. I and love so, it. You know, if we have one thing that we can kind of be in have, have in common, talk a little baseball or bikes or bourbon or something, then hopefully it makes me an easier lawyer to talk with, talk to and sign up with. It's great. Your YouTube page, which I think is a completely underutilized resource, is YouTube is full of good videos. There's even a still of you with a very adorable dog. Couple, he's here. Is that your dog? Yes, that's Marley, the office princess. She's <laughs> in the office most days. And uh, yeah, if you go to my website, usually the first picture or part of the video that pops up is her, which I think is hilarious. She is the star of the show. Very approachable, very likable. Your Facebook page looks great. Your Instagram looks great. There's new and recent posts on there all the time. Um, so tell us, how did you come up with all this branding? How is it working for you? How do you keep up with it all? So I did my own marketing and everything for a long time. And about two and a half years ago, I outsourced. Mm. And I said, you know what? I'm too busy in my practice. I kind of need to reassess kind of what is not only making me money, but what I'm enjoying doing. And so I contracted with a local kind of smaller marketing agency where, you know, I've got direct contact with my with my manager, the owner of the company. And so I've basically given them my vision and they've ran with it. So I've, you know, like my website, especially the colors, like you mentioned, I wanted something that was a little lighter, that was more approachable, not the super dark blues, not nothing black. And so I've got that teal color, a little orange pop in there is kind of different. 
And then, you know, the, the videos and a lot of the blogs and stuff. So now they create for me. And so they'll send me the blogs. I will proof them all usually once a week, maybe every other week. They'll send me six or seven blogs. I proof them all, make edits in Google Docs, send it back to them. And then they will brand them for me and release them kind of on, you know, two or three a week. I believe I've got three or 400 blogs now on my site with over 5,000 keywords, which is a big deal for SEO marketing. That's awesome. Um, I want to call out your Instagram tagline, which I love too. It says Bonichi Law Group, and then it's got the emoji of a guy on a bike and the scales of justice, adorable. And then it says San Diego's bicycle lawyer who rides and races. We know bikes and the law. Let's connect and get you back on the bike. Ah, it's so good. Then it says, DM us for sponsorships. So you said we might talk about that, and I didn't even realize this was going to be on here. So yeah, tell me how tell me how all of this works. You're paying someone. You got a lot of resources. You're looking for sponsorships. Does it pay off? So it does. So my first paid sponsorship on the uh, on the bike aspect was in 2017. I was a small little logo square on the back of a jersey for the bike club that I'm currently the title sponsor for. And it was $500. And I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. That was so much money. And, you know, I, I started kind of just using the branding of that blue square and my name for biking moving forward. And now, I mean, what, it's five or six years later, um, I've sponsored four or five different teams. I was um, on the board for the San Diego Mountain Biking Association. I've I've, uh, definitely sponsored a bunch of their events. And now I am the title sponsor, meaning my name and logo is the biggest for the San Diego Bicycle Club. And, you know, it's a a lot higher than the $500 a year as before when it started. But I have made my money back on that hand over fist. That's amazing. And on the business side, it is a great decision. It's also just a lot of fun and able to give back and, you know, help out with this nonprofit that puts kids on bikes, donates helmets, all that kind of stuff. And so within that, I go bike racing all over the country and utilize that for my business as well. It's brilliant. And then I just want to point out one more thing, especially on your Instagram, which everyone, it's SD as in San Diego. Bike Lawyer is the handle on Instagram. So up at the top, Instagram allows you to sort of collect posts together and you have used them and maybe it's your marketing company or maybe you already had it set up this way. So that bike lawyer actually is the last one in this case. So that when you come to read about it, you're also going to see that Joshua practices or helps with motorcycle, long-term D, personal injury, disability, car accidents, and then bike lawyer is the last one, which I think is brilliant because now you've got people that have come here likely because of your marketing, but they're also seeing that you aren't just the bike lawyer. You also have these other aspects of practice that puts you top of mind when they or someone else they know needs help with that type of law. And honestly, I go back and forth a little bit on how I want to utilize that specific account because I don't want to make it look like I do everything. That might be a concern that I have kind of on my own that I need to work on. But, you know, saying car accidents and slip and falls and bike accidents and all these other things, I don't want to confuse the the, the reader too much, right? Yeah. But having them all kind of in that same vein, I still think is helpful so that when they're looking at it, they can kind of see, okay, no, like he's he's got a couple of different avenues here. and How can he be a resource for me? I think it's great. And, you know, like any marketing plan, you're— and this is something you might just want to speak to for a moment, you're constantly massaging it. 
it's it's never perfect, right? You know, I feel like you're constantly running kind of like a, an A and a B campaign in a way, saying, okay, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna change this up a little bit. We're gonna use these tags, or you know, maybe we need to use more f- pictures of me. Um, that has ended up being um, trending and, and tagged better hmm. when I'm in the photos. And so I'm like, okay, well now I got to get with my marketing company and do some more photo shoots, provide them more pictures. You know, is it me on a bike? Is it me helping somebody talking with someone? So those are all kind of different things that we review and make sure to, to check back. Okay. The last 30 days, how did this last campaign go? Do we need to tweak it? Does it look great? But yeah, it's always evolving. Can you talk about how important it is to hire a professional photographer? Because it looks to me like you do. And it doesn't need to be the best photographer in town. It just needs to be shot on something that's not an iPhone seven, right? <laughs> and you know, a little, a, a little bit of, a little bit of touch up, so that they can't see my wrinkles and my gray hair. But it is what it is. But no, it needs to be presented professionally, but not you know crazily overdone. So, like the pictures you see on there are usually my marketing company coming out with their nice DSLR. And snapping some good pictures and making sure they have a bunch so that they can choose some of the good ones. The videos that you see, they come out and they'll do. And we'll, we'll, we'll record five or six videos um, once a month and, and do those. They're not, you know, I'm not in a production room with all the booms and everything. But just keeping it clean and simple, that's the way that it gets done at the same time too, right? So if it's something that can be done 80% as well, and you're not you know, ruining everything for perfect, it's still going to do the job. And so that's kind of how I've tried to execute on that side of the marketing. The last thing I'm going to ask you about, which is also really important, attorneys hate doing it, but it's so important, and I can see you have a ton of them, is client testimonials. Oh, oh. So, so important. And, you know, it's weird. The first couple of times you ask as a newer lawyer, sometimes or even a newer solo is, hi, can you put your face on video <laughs> saying that you were my client you love me? during the whole time? Can you just right. come in and talk yeah. about how much you love me? Right. But people are really willing to do it. I think I have about a dozen on my website. And, um, you know, as of right now, you know, I only have five-star reviews on Google and Facebook and Avvo. And, you know, asking for those and making it part are you ready for this? Making Process? part of your policies and procedures Yes. to ask for reviews, have a nice bit.ly link that's ready to go. My marketing company created a link for me that I send out. And it, it once you click it, it opens and says, did Benicia Law Group offer you a five-star experience? If yes, you click yes. If no, you click no. If it says yes, it'll take you automatically to a Google review page to where you just start typing in. If it says no, there's a fill-out box that's saying, you know, we're sorry to hear that. How can we do better? Brilliant. It doesn't give them the option to leave a review when you right. The way to makes do it, it super simple for them. So don't be afraid of that. Ask for reviews. You know, in a day where everyone goes to Yelp to go, you know, double check that the restaurant they want to go to has good reviews, they're doing the same thing, and you can control that if it's on your website or Google. Well, Josh, this has been a Great conversation, chock full of a ton of information. And I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your very busy schedule to help more of your fellow attorneys. It's attorneys like you that make this podcast so awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. I'm glad. Tell everyone how they can find, friend, or follow you. Make sure you spell that last name for them one more time. Sure. So my name is Joshua Bonici, B as in boy, 
O-N-N-I-C-I. I run Bonici Law Group. We're a plaintiff's personal injury and disability um, office. As you noted, I'm also doing some coaching on the side. And um, that company is called Domestique Attorney Consulting. Um, the website for that is dattorneyconsult.com. And everyone says, what does Domestique mean? Um, it is a French word for a bicycle racer who is the helper for the person they want to win. So if Adriana is racing with me on the same team and I want her to win, I'm the domestique. I'm making sure that no one gets too far away in the race. I'm bringing her extra water. I'm maybe riding in front of her so she gets a draft behind me, all in effort so that she wins and that I don't. And so that's kind of what I named my, my consulting company after. I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah, you can find me at dattorneyconsult.com there. It's been really fun watching people's passion for the law grow and getting more excited because they're getting more uh, efficient, they're getting organized and uh, better you know, goal setting. That's brilliant. And the fact that you have a cool story wrapped around why it's called that, that alone is a conversation starter. So you're a really smart guy. Joshua, I love, I love everything you've done. I hope we stay friends and get to work together in the future. For now, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of New Solo. We will have another one coming up soon with more wonderful guests, chock full of pearls of wisdom. And until then, we'll see you on New Solo. I've been running from nine to five, been biting my tongue for all this time. Won't let anyone cut me short. I was thinking this was the way to go, and you put up your puppet show. I say cheers to life. Workers' Comp Matters is a podcast dedicated to exploring the laws, the landmark cases, and the true stories that define our workers' compensation system. I'm Judd Pierce, and together with Alan Pierce, we host a different guest each month as we bring to life this diverse area of the law. Join us on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network.